Let's go. You're now listening to the Poptimist Podcast, and today our guest is Patrick Devine, a man of many talents. Uh, hey guys. Okay, so it, we just basically the setup is super uh, super lo-fi. Recorded on my phone. I have it, I have it on this on this stand, and then uh, then we just yeah. talk the whole time. Cool man. So how did we meet? Do you remember how we met? Must have met at a blues jam. At a blues jam. Do you remember which one? Probably Kara's blues jam. We met at Kara's Blues Jam, and I think the first time we played together was at the Wednesday Night Blues Jam at uh, Papa Turney's. At Papa Turney's. Okay, cool. That's a good show. Yeah, it is. That's a fun jam. We yeah. uh, we did Kleenex Boogie. Did we? Yeah. Okay. Which is a song I believe uh, you uh, composed in, over the course of seven minutes before we had to go on stage. Uh, maybe was that the night that I wrote it? I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, because I remember you had like this, uh, this index card. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And you were writing on it. Yeah. And I saw you over in the corner, and I went up to talk to you, and I was like, I don't want to do any slow blues songs because I die every fucking time I do it. And then, of course, we get up there. It's like, we're going to do a quick one. Yeah. A quick shuffle. A quick shuffle, but the other guitarist, everybody always wants to shred over slow blues. And they just make me uncomfortable because I'm worried I'm going to fuck up. But that means you should practice it more. That's, that's true. That's true. If you're, too, if you're comfortable doing something, you're not learning. Yeah. Probably. So you also do stand-up comedy, right? Yep. In addition to music. How long have you been doing stand-up for? Three years. Three years. Mm -hmm. And when the, what, what gave you the, the bug? What, what made you want to start doing it? Jimmy Fogelsong is a drummer. He's a drummer in the house band at the Sunday Jam at uh, Twin Cakes 2. Uh-huh. And he used to tell, sometimes does, tells jokes in between songs. And I thought that that would be good shtick. I wasn't gigging or anything, really. Like, I've had, I'd, I wasn't gigging at all, basically. Um, and, but I thought it would be good shtick whenever I eventually got myself a, a music gig to have jokes to tell in between songs. I thought that would be fun. So I, I thought maybe I should start writing jokes. So I started writing jokes. And then I had all these jokes and nowhere to tell them. So I started going to comedy open mics. And then I just never stopped. Keep writing jokes, you know. And they just keep coming. They keep coming. My crazy brain. So music came first. Mm -hmm. um, when did you start doing music how old were you uh 18 um i got a harmonica and i had one key i had like a c or something and i tried to play every song with that harmonica and i'm sure it sounded hor horrible you know see the only key you need all the white keys that's that's not you know if you're playing c sharp you need a different you need a different harmonica yeah yeah so that's when i started and we had a, a, a piano in the house my mom majored in music, and she would play around the house just a little bit. She didn't really play much, and I never learned anything. And then when I was 18, I also, later that year, maybe that same year, I got a guitar, and my mom taught me triads on the piano. Like, taught me C, D minor, E minor, G, F, A minor, like the, the white key triads. And 
I figured out, you know, that you can, you can make, and I think that's a great way to teach somebody is because just knowing those chords, you can, I don't know how familiar you are with the keyboards. But a little bit. That's, that's like the sim as simple as it gets. And you can make so sounds that don't sound terrible, you know, because it's almost like you're, you can play any song almost. Really. Root third, fifth. Yeah, root third, fifth. And like, it, you know, if you're in a punk band or something, you know, that's all they fucking play. <laughs> yeah. Say bad words on the stage. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> that was, I'm not going to try to. I just slipped out. But, you know, that was when I first, what I first learned. And I learned, like, I, I figured out myself, like, the second day, lean on me. Because lean on me is just yeah, it just walks up and down. Those exact triads. So I was like, well, this is how music works. So it's much more fun than like learning how to play "Mary Had a Little Lamb" by sight reading. Yeah. No, it's not. I think sight reading is more of like the the discipline of music, and really, it's it's the math side. It's never usually fun until you start getting into it. I can sight read a little bit, but not even not even confident enough to say that I'm really a sight reader. Because it's literally my my friend Ned, he is an amazing fucking sight reader. Um and an amazing classical guitarist. And you can put any piece of music down in front of him and you give him just one second, he can he can just he can just go. I think that that's a that's a skill entirely in itself, but I think there's something to be said for just being able to um, to play, like play what you feel without having to sit there and, and sight read and do, do the math side. It's like the cerebral side of music. Yeah. It's, but, if you have an awesome idea for a melody, it's be benefit. And if you want to have a horn section play that exact melody that it's very useful to be able to write that down somewhere. Sure, yeah. But I agree that it's, I'd rather hear what somebody is, what's coming to them when the drummer does this and the bass player walks up this way, how you react to it, because it's conversational, you know, when you're playing with people. That's, that's how music sh I like, you know. What is some What is some of the music that you listened to growing up, or that it influenced you to play? When I was raised listening to uh, my dad's music, and he loved Crosby, Stills, and uh, he had some Beatles records, and he had a, a uh, like all that kind of stuff. He had a Bob Dylan Greatest Hits album that he got when I was like in tenth grade, and. Uh, I I got I liked that and then I started getting heavily into Dylan and I eventually I have like every Dylan album but that's what that's how I got into the blues because I heard an interview where Dylan it was like a it was on uh, LimeWire or something you know remember that stuff oh yeah I remember and there was a um, I've heard it since. But it's I can't get my hands on like a, a physical copy of it. It was a radio interview he did, and he played like ten songs, and he played I guess he played Smokestack Lightning or something. It was a Helen some Helen Wolf song, and I was like you know, uh, 
I love Dylan, and if he loves Helen Wolf, maybe I should give Helen Wolf a shot. And Dylan loved John Lee Hooker, and I was like, well, or he played with, you know, open for John Lee Hooker or something. I was like, well, I'll listen to that. So I started getting into that stuff, and then, you know, you get into Helen Wolf, you get into, like, the best stuff first, you know what I mean? I don't know how, how much you're into Helen Wolf, but... Oh, uh, yeah, I love all that chess stuff. It's you know, it's classic. In my opinion, I don't know if there's any any bands better than Helen Wolf. That stuff is awesome. But then you get into Robert Johnson and Skip James. Those are, like... Elmore James and Skip James and Helen Wolf and Robert Johnson. I don't, I can't, I, you kind of, it's hard to get better than that, you know what I mean? But that's how I got into the blues was listening to Bob Dylan. Are you from Nashville or did you grow up somewhere else? Uh, Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach, yeah. okay. And Where when did you, I'm from Maine. Maine, okay. Yeah. When did you make the leap to come to Nashville? It was the spring of 2010. It was like a month or two before the floods. Wow, okay. Yeah, those floods were kind of biblical from the way that people talk about them. I didn't see any of it. Uh, I saw some creeks that were around. I was in Sylvan Park. I just kind of stayed home. I don't know if I worked those days, but, um, but I didn't see any of the flooding. But yeah, they're, they're bad. I've seen a lot of stuff about them since then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mill Creek, which is just up the road there, is where the biggest floods were. Really? Mill, yeah, Mill Creek, just on the way to Briley up there. And that's uh, across, it flooded, went over 24. And someone actually died in their car on 24 because of Mill Creek. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. The flash flood on Mill Creek. I remember... Um... I was, I, this was a few years after when I was working at this place out in Colorado called Wildwood Guitars, and while I was working there, um, they had a line of guitars called, like they were called Flood Guitars, or it was something like that, where something like Flood was in the name, mm-hmm. and it was from guitars that were in the shop that were in, I guess, in various stages of completion, um, and they got flooded um from what from what it sounds like from what they were saying so i from nashville yeah from nashville at, at the nashville shop so uh, that, that was kind of my connection with the flood and i kind of had family here and then you fast forward to a couple of years later and you start hearing more and more about nashville i think i i wanted to move here back in 2011 is when i wanted to move here because i uh i heard this band called those darlings and they were here did you ever listen to them I hear of them. They're well known. Yeah, yeah, they were like an East Nashville band. The the singer Jesse passed away recently from ovarian cancer. Um, they broke up last year, I think. Uh, they ended last year, but um, they they were kind of like punky and cool and kind of had this uh, this real '60s girl group vibe to them, but still very country fried at the same time. Yeah. And I remember seeing videos of that and being like, this is what's going on in Nashville. That's where I want to live. Um, and then, of course, I kept hearing about how uh, the city kept just growing and growing. I've been here now for two years. And even in the two years that I've been here, it's it's grown a lot. Um, and a lot has continued to, 
to change. Would you say there was a big difference after the, the flood happened of, of rebuilding here? They say I wasn't overly familiar with the city at that point, and I didn't, I didn't go to East Nashville until, like, I'd been here for three or four years, I don't think. Holy shit, yeah, that's a while. And I guess I kind of maybe went over there, but I was not com- familiar with the area at all. And I think that East Nashville had a lot of, I'm told that East Nashville got hit pretty hard in the flood. And that, you know, they had to, re- when rebuilding, you know, some of the stuff that was, you know, air quotes, less than savory in East Nashville. Some of that stuff didn't, you know, they, they rebuilt and some of that less than savory element was not there after the flood. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if that's true or not. That's just what, I don't know, nothing, you know. I don't know much. But now, I mean, I lived in East Nashville for three years, or two or three years. Did you like it over there? Yeah, I was kind of north over... Trinity Dickerson, so kind of East Nashville, yeah. Yeah, that's I. I used to live out there too. I was um. I was off of. Do you know where that that DMV is? Mm-hmm. As on Hart Lane, I was mm-hmm. close to there. I was right across from the, pretty much the Inglewood Kroger, and there was a Piggly Wiggly that used to be yeah. over there, yeah. and I lived back in that neighborhood. Okay. Um, I was renting a room in a house before I got this place that I live in now. And um, so East Nashville, I, I actually, when I first moved here, I had this job working downtown. I didn't have a car yet. And I used to take the bus every single morning. I had to get up at like 5 a.m. so I could catch the bus because uh, my job was based off of Eastern time. So you had to be there at like 7 o'clock yeah. for 8 o'clock Eastern. Or some, it was something along those lines. So I was getting up and riding the bus. And when I first, uh, I remember the first time I got uh, got on the bus and then, got out uh, at the bus station downtown. I had never been in a city like that. But I'm, I mean, I went to Boston and everything like that. And I used to, uh, to live in Miami at one point, but I never um, was like, I was just like, wow, look at all these buildings, yeah. all these high rises. I wasn't, I wasn't used to that. It was just a complete shock for me. Yeah. Cause I was from a super small town. Where are you from? Brunswick, Maine. Okay. So it was pretty quiet and sleepy up there. What did you, you lived in Denver also? Yeah, I lived in um, a town called Louisville, which is right outside of Boulder. Oh, okay. I lived for two or three months in Evergreen, outside of Denver. Really? Did you like it out there? Yeah, beautiful. Amazing. Late summer, early fall when I was there. Good weed. Perfect. I was there, uh, a friend of mine had a a legal, like, medical grow up, Mm -hmm. and I was... I thought I was there to help him with that. It turned out that he didn't really need my help until harvest. And uh, so I got a job at a Mexican restaurant and harvest was not fun. I thought it was gonna be fun, but you're just like hunched over. Trimming plants. Yeah. Did you get a lot of good free weed? Uh, Yeah, I did. Um, I didn't actually get get paid for it. I just got a bunch of weed. (laughs) Well, hey, I mean, that's, you know, you can use that to get paid. Yeah. So, uh, when were you out there? What, uh, what time frame was that? That was three years ago. I want to say maybe almost four years ago. Um, I might have been living out there around then. Because I was there maybe in... It was four years ago. 
what, what year are we in? 2017? So that's 2016, 2015, 2014, around like 2013 were you out there? That's, that must have been when it was. That's when I was out there too. It's, it's beautiful. It's fucking beautiful that's out there. Great. I think it's the most beautiful place I've ever been. Those mountains, man, they, they just... Uh, yeah, we were up in the mountains. They stretch on forever. It's like uh, natural law takes over when you cross into that barrier. I feel like everything else peels away. Like you, I, I, So I lived out on the, what they call, like I'm sure you remember, the front range. Yeah. Of like the whole, the whole Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins. It's funny because all of those places are within like an hour of each other. If you go in da- down to Colorado Springs, and it all stretches across the the front range. So basically, this this little patch of civilization is right at the bottom of the mountains. Mm-hmm. And then I just remember walking back and forth every day, and, and especially during the summer. When I was out there, you would look up and it would be uh, giant plumes of smoke from the wildfires. And that was pretty trippy, too. That was the year when, the year I was there, there were a lot of wildfires. We had just gone, my brother and I had gone to a bunch of national parks, kind of started in Wisconsin and then went west to San Francisco and then up to the Boulder, or Glacier, Glacier, I'm sorry, and then down to eventually down to Denver, but I remember up in uh, Idaho there, and you know, you could see there was smoke all over the place. There were fires in Idaho, and um, Yellowstone was all smoky, and the Tetons were smoky, and a lot of smokiness. Yeah. That summer, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty dry. I, I prefer, uh, prefer that, uh, that dry heat, though. I can't, I can't stand the fucking humidity, dude. I'm I'm grateful for this time of year when it starts getting cold out because yeah. I don't like I don't like the heat at all. I'm not a big fan of the heat or the cold. <laughs> you like it right down the middle? I like it. <laughs> I like to be comfortable, yeah. <laughs> right in the right in the seventy degree. Yeah. Is that the ideal temperature? I need a winter home in Miami and a summer home in yeah, like Aspen, Maine. Aspen or Maine. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I uh I'm really grateful for for my time that I spent out there, but basically I was out there for a year and I just got, I got I just got way too high all the time. The only time I wasn't high was when I was at work. I was 21 years old, yeah, and I had I had a medical card. I, I should I should not have been given that. I mean, it can, I, it works for some people, I guess, but it makes me just stupid. Yeah, I can't function when I'm so I don't I really don't. I mean, it's rare that I smoke. Yeah. There was a point in my life where that wasn't the case. Yeah. And it wasn't helpful for me. It's like, yeah. I like weed a lot, but it does. It makes me stupid. I I, I like smoking it. I think I occasionally, uh, I like eating it just because it makes me really, uh, really question everything about, about my life decisions. <laughs> makes me think it's kind of, it's kind of, um, psychedelic, kind of like, not quite like tripping, but have you ever done mushrooms before? I like mushrooms. <laughs> I think they're a lot of fun. Yeah, interesting. They're interesting. Did you ever have a really bad trip on mushrooms? Yeah. Did you learn anything from it? Uh, not to do mushrooms with people that you're not a big fan of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, I had a bad trip on a... I was working for a taco restaurant in Nashville, and we we had a, we went on a canoe trip, 
it was crazy. Uh, my buddy and I were gonna <laughs> gonna do that. All right, so uh, this is on the record now. Uh, we were gonna we we're gonna do that, and uh, he he decided at the last minute to bring his girlfriend on the trip. It was like oh, everybody no. from work. And and then I didn't get to be in his canoe, and I got paired up with like a friend of one of the workers, and she wasn't she wasn't any fun, and she wasn't a big fan of me eating that, and uh, I was having a ball, and we stopped at this beach area, and there was two river two a creek ran into the river. I think it was the buffalo we were on. Uh huh. And uh, there was a big eddy, and it kept swirling around under this little cliff, rock cliff. What's what's an eddy? An eddy is like when water will, you know, it's going down. It's like a little whirlpool almost, where it, it everything kind of not not a whirlpool, but just the the water comes back. It's like backwater. Okay. So you'll just it was my canoe was just uh, I was in the canoe by myself. She was on the beach, and I was just spinning around on right in the same place on the river, right under the cliff. And I would go under the cliff and out and then under it again, right under, you know, a foot from the the bottom of the overhang. So I was looking at these, this cool moss and stuff under it. I was just hanging out underneath it. And she was like, we got to go. Uh, we got to get back. Otherwise, they're going to charge us 25 bucks a canoe. And I was like, go ahead. I'm, I'll pay 25 bucks. I don't care. I want to stay here. You, know, you, you wanted to experience. Yeah, we can trade partners or something. You know, <laughs> you're you're harshing my buzz. So she got back in the canoe and starts paddling us against my will. And I you was, did not consent. I was like, dude, we're staying here. So I, I turned the other direction in the canoe, and I'm much stronger than she was. <laughs> so I started paddling the canoe back upriver against her. And then I got back to the beach, and I got out, and I was like, I'm staying here. And everybody was like, no, nah, Patrick, now this, you gotta, we gotta go. Now it's the, now it's becoming like a big scene or something. And I was like, so unhappy. And I got into a different canoe with two other friends, and I just sat in the middle and let them row me, because I wasn't getting back in the canoe with that lady that I was <laughs> I was having a bad time. But it all worked out. How many people were there? Probably 20. Oh, damn. You know, 15, something, 20. And was it just you and your buddy who took the mushrooms? Yeah, and he had a, he, he had a great time. He and his girlfriend in their canoe. Uh-huh. But it didn't work out for me as well. Well, it sounds like it was a, it was a growing experience. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if I really learned anything other than that specific tidbit. Well, you got to be one with nature for a moment. I did. I did. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, there's something to be said for um, for going out and trying to hike or trying to, not even when you're on mushrooms, just uh, just uh, just all natural. Yeah. Um, go out for on a lake for a day or something like that and just get away, turn off your phone. That's a good feeling. It's not something that I do with any regular regularity eating mushrooms but you know it's definitely a life experience it is yeah absolutely so have you been uh, playing out a lot recently man i do 
I haven't had my my own gig and and I haven't played on a gig like an actual gig where I've gotten paid in maybe three years. Um, but I've been doing the stand-up comedy a lot, and I do probably a blues. I I make sure to try to at least go to a blues jam. I try to go every Sunday, every Monday. Um, some like some Tuesdays I go out to Kara's jam, and then there's a the one on Wednesdays, and I probably go to Kara's and the one on Wednesdays maybe once or twice a month. Mm -hmm. So I I try to stay busy doing that, but I almost I'm a, you know every day of the week I'm doing a a comedy thing, except you know Friday and Saturday. Sometimes I get booked on a Friday and Saturday, but you know there's something Sunday, something two things Monday. Potentially now four things on Tuesday I could go do. So it, I, I can do, I have been doing like an open mic, then another open mic, or an open mic, then another open mic, then going to Kara's Jam, and then going to do another open mic. So and on a Tuesday night. And uh, so that that's pretty cool. If I would do four open mics, I couldn't go to Kara's Jam. So it'll be a trade-off. I don't know what I, you know, I got to stay doing the music. I don't know what I'm doing. Is the, is the music your main passion or? Um, I like doing them both. They both feel good when, you know, if it goes well. It feels like, you know, you hit a home run in a baseball game or something when it goes well. You know what I mean? What about when it goes bad? Uh, it used to suck. Now I, I don't care that much. Like there was a, we had a train wreck at Bourbon Street on Monday of the set that I was in. Uh, it was I'm not gonna say whose fault it was, but it was there was a just you know it's not as fun, but you don't learn as much when you're if everything goes perfectly like as you know. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's something to be said for the for the train wrecks. Um, I personally every night that I that I do go out, I haven't been going out much lately. Um, but every night that I do go out, I hope at least for one of the songs, there is some kind of train wreck situation, even if it doesn't directly involve me. Uh, I've definitely caused some, some train wreck situations as, as a bass player. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think bass players, it's rare for, uh, for, I would say for a guitar to have an actual train wreck. It usually has to come from the bass or drums because if one of those is lacking mm -hmm. or something's fucking up, then it kills the entire vibe and can trigger a train wreck for guitar. It can trigger a train wreck for keys. It can trigger a train wreck for drums and vice versa. Um, if it's drums, it can it can trigger it for everyone. The bass player can make the drummer look bad. Oh, yeah. Um, I've seen some... It is rarer on guitar if you've got somebody who's like a little bit crazy who's kind of cranked up all the way and wants to, you know, yeah. strum loudly, then that can throw everybody off. And I've seen a piano player try to play like Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis? Jerry Lee Lewis. I always get him and Jerry Lewis confused. Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, banging with the the left hand playing the bass line with the left hand oh can, yeah you know if you're just a wild maniac it's it's hard to be perfect that that low range it like, can it can throw a bass player yeah. bla bass player off
Yeah, I've been uh, I've been probably going out to jams. The first jam that I ever went out to was was Kara's jam, um, through Dale Hunter, if mm-hmm. you know Dale, yeah. a keyboard player, and he uh, I was working with him at the place that I was working when I first moved to Nashville. He was like right at the tail end of me leaving. And I remember I used to talk to him every single day and be like, I hate this job. I just want to do music. And when I first moved here, I didn't know where to go to start playing. Were you working with that shoes thing? Did he does the shoe charity? No, no. I, we we were working together at a logistics company, oh. and um, we would I would I am him because we had like a chat system. And I, would, I am him every day. How much I hated the job, and I would, I was just hoping that they would read all the chats and then pull me out and fire me. But that never happened. Right. But um, that's how I first started, and the first time I remember the first time I got on stage in Nashville, I was so terrified. I was overwhelmed because I never played with, like, if you play with really hot players, and it always been, you know, you always have a rehearsal or something like that. First, I never been in a situation where uh, I just get up on stage and, and play, and then you go for it, and they're like, "Can you play a twelve bar blues?" And I was like, uh, "Yeah," but. It was overwhelming. I, I mean, every single fucking walk-up, I missed it. Every Like, every cue from the drummer of them doing the walk-up, I missed it. And it was just... I was able to hang in there. But it just felt like uh, losing my virginity for a second time. It was real sloppy. Yeah. A lot of great musicians in town. It's easy to get intimidated by it. Yeah. Especially at that jam, too, at Kara's jam, is like all the players are real hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember going up to her and being like, hi, I'm a bass player. And she screens everybody out first, which I kind of kind of like. She was, and I was like, my friend, my friend, did. she's like, are you a professional? And I said, uh, I didn't know what to say because I was like, I wanted to be like, no, I'm not a professional. I just moved to Nashville. Like. But I was, I just said, my friend Dale said I should come out and play. And when I said Dale's name, she just wrote me right on the list. No questions asked after that. But I was fucking terrified. I was shaking in my boots. I don't think, I don't, I might have had a beer or two that night to like try and loosen my nerves. But after, after two or three jams, I stopped, I stopped drinking at jams altogether. I didn't want to drink at them anymore. I'll just drink waters the whole night. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to cause a train wreck situation by being a little bit too relaxed. I remember this. There was one really bad train wreck situation that that I had, and it was actually with Kara. She came up. I was playing with uh, with Grady Clark, who's a great fucking slide player. Yeah. You know Grady, right? Yeah, yeah. He's really good. And then Alex Walls, also awesome. And the drummer, I can't remember who it was. It might have been. It might have been Matt Doctor. And um, we didn't have a singer because. Uh, Grady and, and Alex don't like singing. Uh-huh. Um, so we went up there and Kara came up to do the song. And this particular day, this was over, it was during last summer during the Stanley Cup. I was working a lot at Bridgestone and pulling like 14-hour days between both jobs, sometimes longer than that. And this particular day I had been going, the past couple of days, I went two or three days in a row without getting much sleep and she counted off a slow blues and dude I was playing at double time just bombing bass notes left and right it was horrible it was atrocious I was so embarrassed um and I remember that night uh before I came there I was like I wonder if I should just stay home because I'm really tired and normally I'm really good about uh 
timing as a bass player. Like, I, that's one of the things I'm confident in saying is I have really good time. But that just went out the window. She counted it off, and it was I didn't even listen. Yeah. It was bad. It was real bad. But it was a growing experience. I'm forever grateful for it. And you know what? She still has me back. She never told me not to not come back. Playing double time is fun. Yeah, if you, uh, you throw it in there for you know a few bars. Yeah, but it was it was not good. Yeah. She was. I don't know if you've seen her do it, but she was throwing up the changes. Uh huh. I was so embarrassed, just holding her hand up one four five yeah. one four five, and I was just choking. Miss the quick four every single time. Yeah, I don't feel, I don't love th doing that because I don't want to make somebody feel like I think they're an idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. One. We're stay, we're on the one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes I am an have, idiot. Sometimes you have to do it. Yeah. Sometimes you, you know, you get lost or, I mean, I've, I've probably gotten lost before, but I've definitely been on stage where the bass player is not changing or you start off a song and you're like going to play through you know 12 bars before you start singing and somehow pretty frequently people will get lost in there and it's like maybe somebody started on the five or something and yeah. it's just like no everybody's playing a different chord yeah and you just got to be like one you'll have to kind of look at each other and be like Okay, you we're starting wanna, now. You almost want to count it in again. Yeah. You know, one, two, three. You yeah. Know what I mean, like after playing it for thirty seconds already. Well, that's what kind of the beauty of the the jams are, is because every, I think it's it's those moments where things don't sink in that that I really like. But then there's sometimes where it does line up. You know, like mm -hmm. I've I've met people from jams and uh, become good friends with uh, some of the people that I've played with just because. Uh, we uh, were able to sink in that first time mm -hmm. on, on one of those jams. But um, have you been to anything else besides the blues jams, or have you done mainly the blues jams? Um, there, there are some jazz jams around town. Have you done any of that stuff? No, but I'm really interested in doing jazz. I really want to become a, a good jazz musician. What kind of stuff do you listen to? As far as jazz goes, um, I really uh, like kind of all the like the jazz fusion stuff from from the 70s like Herbie Hancock. Yeah. You know, uh, like Manchild, that's a good album. Hang Up Your Hangups is the, is like the one of the songs on there I really like a lot. Um, and then Head Headhunters. I mean, that's a classic album. Chameleons on that album. I don't know. I don't know much of that stuff. What about you? Are you a big fan of jazz? I love what people call jazz. I I love what people call jazz it's actually blue you know I love Louis Armstrong and that that he just plays blues you know mm -hmm. people think he's jazz I've got Art Tatum on in my car right now uh, Art uh, Artie Shaw um, uh, who's the guy that does Take 5 Dave, Dave Brubeck uh -huh. I've got that on in my car right now I've got I got a six disc. So change. you're you're a you're a big fan of jazz then. I love that stuff. I also got, uh, um, I think a Robert Cray on. No, I mean it changes, but I've got a Bob um, a Meters album on right now. Oh on. yeah, dude, gotta love the Meters. Yeah, but I love the blues and you know, 
it's hard to find new stuff with the blues. You can always find, I'm always finding new stuff. It's easier for me because I just haven't done, I haven't listened to enough of it to find new jazz stuff like Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And But it's hard for me to find, There's I've listened to every Howlin' Wolf thing. You know, yeah. I know all the Robert Johnson. Um, Skip James is somebody, if you've never listened to Skip James, that he will just blow your mind. It's like crazy poly polyrhythms that are and really dark sounding cra- cool stuff. But there's not I wish and I've you know, if I've listened to it a million times it's hard for me to keep it on and and listen to it again and again. I actually got I went to a thrift store today and it's right down from my house and I, my my car has a cassette player in it. And they sell cassettes there for twenty five cents. I've never been there before but they didn't have anything good except there was a there was a Bonnie Raitt album, so that's what's playing right now in my car, like some totally eighties eighties sounding Bonnie Raitt. Uh huh. So it's not you know tinny reverby drums. Weird synthesizers in there too. It's not the best Bonnie Raitt, but Bonnie Raitt's good. Yeah, uh, she has this cover that she does. It was of a Randy Newman song called Guilty. Mm-hmm, yeah. Do you know that one? Joe Cocker does that too. Yeah. Oh, does he? Yeah, that's a that's a great song. Um, I have a I have actually a good story about uh, a time when I really I really ate shit on someone called out that song, yeah. and that song doesn't have like it's number one it's long and it's slow, Very and then number two the changes aren't typical blues changes. So the guy who was singing and playing guitar. He was, I couldn't, I was having like a super hard time following all the changes and, and getting the time right, and I just mm-hmm. ate shit. It was horrible. And then to redeem it, we tried to do Roadhouse Blues after, but I was already gone, dude. I mean, Roadhouse Blues is like the easiest song. I think it's like two chords the the whole time. And um, I was, I ate shit on that one too. It was like my nerves were so fried that there was no, uh, no recovery. Yeah. It's yeah. It's hard to play if you if you are not having fun. It's hard to get yourself out of that on stage and play something good. I think that's why I want to <clears throat> I want to start playing jazz because I feel like I would do that a lot in jazz. I don't know if anybody would even have me on in jazz, but I mean, you could play jazz and people get. So there are some people playing jazz. There's some people playing blues who want you to play it exactly like it was on the album. But when it comes to jazz, it's even more so. And people like want to break up the the lead sheets and stuff. And uh-huh. I've done I've done maybe been to six jazz jams in town, and uh, I'll go just with my harmonica because I I I'm like confident doing stuff in most keys on the piano when it comes to that crazy stuff or the guitar and I can't play I don't know I've never even attempted to play jazz on the guitar I don't know how to do that stuff that I don't know I could probably fake it and have fun but the harmonica I can definitely I'm more comfortable with doing that stuff but I'll just call out a fucking we're gonna play a blues you know every Louis Louis Armstrong recorded 500 blueses we're gonna do. We're gonna do a twelve-bar blues with regular changes. We'll do a six. We'll do a six-four. We'll do a you know a, a rumba. Whatever you want to do, but 
we'll just, you know, you can play it as jazzy as you want to play it. So I would yeah. do that every time, and I would sing. So I, it, I would be leading the band. They would have to do it and <laughs> bear with me. Captive audience. Yeah, because I can't, if you're doing free jazz and stuff, I don't know what har- what key of harmonica to play if it's not, if I'm not hearing it in that kind of blues mode, and it's not like the minor mode that I'm used to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to make bad sound, I'm not going to, you know, make myself look like a fool up there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Uh as far as jazz goes, I think if you can play jazz, you can play anything. That's probably true. So it sounded like a lot of the stuff that you were kind of talking about earlier that you had in your car, some of that was like the West Coast, cool kind of jazz sound. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Uh, I th- I know Dave Brubreck is kind of considered... West Coast? The, like that West Coast kind of smoother um, jazz. Cause it, from, and I've just started really getting into this because I've been listening to jazz for a while. I like all the all the older stuff too, all the stuff that's not jazz, like the jazz funk. But it sounds like East Coast, uh, the jazz there is is like the hard bop style. So it's very quick. Everyone's playing a lot of notes and really shredding. That stuff is too many notes, a lot of that stuff. Art Tatum plays too many. I don't, sorry for cutting you off. Art Tatum does like those waterfall things that are really neat and just like cascading notes. But he plays too many notes. Yeah. Errol sh- Garner. Do you know Errol Garner? No. Oh, man, that guy is sweet. Um, I don't know where he's from, um, if he's east or west. Um, but he is fun to watch on YouTube. You can watch him, and he grunts and stuff while he's playing. He's like, Piano player? Yeah, while he's playing, makes, It's like, it's pretty cool. What What era is he? Is he like a modern-day guy, or was he... One of like the fifties guys, or it seems like forties, fifties. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I've I've heard of the there's the jazz jam on Tuesday nights at the Commodore. Uh, at the uh, Holiday Inn. I think so. Yeah, it, it's the one that I think it's right by um, the country. Right by the country. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So I'm I'm interested in really going. I haven't worked up the courage to actually even go down there yet, but. It does take some courage when I to go to a jazz jam. Those I feel like those guys are the true heavy hitters. They're not. It seems like they're not as accepting of outsiders as their people at the blues jam. But really, that's probably just me from the outside looking in. Yeah. Because um, I had fun. Um, I had fun doing my thing when mm-hmm. I made them play blues, and it seemed like everybody had fun. But I think there are a few people who are like, why, why are you playing full bar blues? Doing, why are we doing blues? Yeah. Like jazz is blues, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing I say I, I really don't like about Nashville is, is like all the scenes are very isolated and insulated into themselves. Like the country, you know, like Broadway is its own scene. The blues scene is its own scene. East Nashville, like the East Nashville indie rock scene is its own scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for me, the, the reason I play music is because I, I like everything and I enjoy everything. So I want to I wanna do it. Mm-hmm. I want to do everything. I, I think I was a little bit discouraged at one point while being here in Nashville because I thought when I first moved here, I was like, this is going to be awesome because it's going to be a bunch of people who are just excited to play music all the time. And then I found out that's not the truth at all. I, I feel like everyone's really uh, against each other. 
when we should all be working together. New Orleans is, I've, and I've never lived in New Orleans, but it feels like what you would want, what you would like, because everybody's out there playing in the street, you know? Yeah. My theory, and this might not be right, but it is, I've said, I've said this as my theory before, is that there's probably the same amount of musicians per capita in Nashville and New Orleans, but New Orleans, you know, people are playing out on the street, at, you know, playing for free and just, you know, there's, everyone wants to play. And then Nashville, if you ask somebody if they want to jam on the guitar, they're like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to play. Does it pay? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more expectations that come along with it. I think, well, people, the people who move here and I mean, I guess, you know, we moved here too from, a, from away, but, um, I just thought it was going to be that all the time. It's just people wanting to get together to play and not and not worry about it. But because the air quote industry is is here, which is shrinking and is practically dead on life support, uh, I think people have this uh, this notion of everything that I do has to further my career. And the way I see it is, I just want to log as many hours as possible doing it. That's how you further your career is logging hours and getting better at whatever you're doing yeah eventually people are going to notice you you don't you don't need to be fighting to make connections and stuff like that yeah just do what you do and eventually you'll get good at it you don't want to put yourself out there when you suck you know people come to town to quote make it and like why would you want to if you were fortunate enough to like meet the right people and uh, get the right connection to get your you get a record deal, if you're you don't want to force the American public to listen to your garbage, why don't you get good before you do it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's really something to be said to be working, but like behind the scenes for many years. I, I see this. Uh, I see music and, and art in general as. Um, it's like craftsmanship. You have to constantly be chipping away and kind of growing at it and putting in your 10,000 hours before maybe you do something really special. I, I listen to a, a lot of comedy podcasts and they always talk about how around the 10 year mark is when you start to like be like, okay, I'm a comic now. Yeah, and I've heard that, yeah. I, I think with musicians, people maybe play guitar for a year and or less than that as soon as you pick one up and you're like yeah i'm a musician now i mean i felt that way when i was a kid i started playing when i was 13 mm -hmm. and as soon as i picked it up it was just like yeah i'm a musician and then i never looked back but it's just uh you really have to earn it in nashville and you really have to have to hustle yeah i mean paying gigs are, are hard to hard to even come by and when you do get them they don't pay very well no no not not for uh not for bottom feeders like us you just gotta put in put in the hours, man. Every time you do it, like I I go out to a lot of open mics, probably as you know, as many as you can go to in Nashville for a comedy. And I don't feel like I got any better each time, but every time I've learned something, probably, you know, but hopefully. You know, if I'm getting better, I can see it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing better, and I've got progressively gotten more and more jokes that now I've got 
you know, a longer good set. Um, but if you if you don't go out and do it every night, I've I have friends that uh, are really great, but don't want to go out and do open mics every night. Uh, it's like you you got to I know you you're you know they've been doing it a long time, but you got to keep doing it. I think. Absolutely. It's got to be. It's like the same thing as music. Every blues jam, I'm learning something. And playing blues jams, as opposed to playing, like if you're 17 and you're just playing with your buddies, you have a you've had a band with your buddies in high school. Mm -hmm. You're not learning anything from those idiots, you know. Yeah. If you play every day with those guys, you're not getting good. The same way, if you are playing every day at a blues jam, you're playing with different people. Of different levels. Yep. You learn how to give cues. You learn how to be conversational with your music. You learn how to work, interact, play off of what that guy played. You learn, hey, that's a different hand gesture. I didn't know that. When I first got it down, I didn't know how to stop a song. I'm still not... I still stop a song the same way every time. Is this in tune? Yeah, it should be. This is how I stop a song every time. No? Yeah. That's like the, I give the whole I give the cue to. Well, I think everybody stops stops in a different way too. There and are different ways to stop. I wish I, I I need to. I wish I knew how to stop different ways. I need to sit down and you know, focus my energy one afternoon and, and learn some different ways mm -hmm. to stop, learn how to cue it, maybe talk to some people who are better at it yep. than me. But I learned how to do that. I didn't know how to count in a song when I first got to town. I didn't know how to go one, two, three. I didn't know what a sh how to count in a shuffle. It's a one, two, you know? Oh, like, really? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that there was even a difference. Yeah, because a shuffle's like... Up one, uh, two, uh, three. When the yeah, shuffle, you feel the anticipation. Yeah, the anticipation of the beat. And uh, you can do like a flat tire shuffle or a chunky shuffle is what you call it. And it's like a uh, one, a uh, one, a uh, two, a uh, three. Cut chunk, puck chunk, cut chunk, cut punk, chunk. You know, it's a different kind of feel, but it's the same as a shuffle. And it's just like that cut chunk is a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. it's, that's fun to do. And a rumba, you count it out. I count it out the same way as a shuffle, kind of. One, two, three. And I have to, I have to think that bass line in my head every time I do a rumba. Boom, 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 boom. But all right, all right. One, two, one, two. I have to think that in my head. And if the bass ain't there when it, when you kick it off, it's fucked. Trainwreck city. Yeah, I don't really know how to count in a second line. I just let the drummer do it. And uh, even a slow slow blues is the hardest for me to count in for some reason. I learned how to do a six four. One, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three, four, mm -hmm. one, two, three. And I I learned that you can just go one, two, three, duh, duh, and that's the slow blues, you know? I'm getting education right now. There I you go. I'm actually I'm having um uh, Kara and Val are supposed to be coming on next week, so I'm gonna talk talk to them all about all this shit. 
because uh, they're obviously very knowledgeable because they do it every Tuesday at, yeah. at arguably the the best gym in Nashville. Yeah. So with uh with stand up comedy, it sounds like there's a, a pretty healthy comedy scene here if, there, if there's four open mics in one night. There is a good comedy scene in Nashville, and it's growing. Um, there, there are now showcases and shows all around town at different venues. When I first started, it took me a year to get booked, and I was getting laughs. And it took me at open mics, and it took me a year to get booked on my first you know, show, showcase in town. Uh, I made 20 bucks. Um, All right. That was, that was awesome. A year in, that's that's impressive, dude. But now people who are not not that funny are getting booked on shows like after their second month doing comedy, and I'm like, you gotta pay your dues. But there's just so many more shows in town that there's people want to get, and it's it makes sense to get new people on your show because new people will still bring their friends out. Yeah. And you want to get an audience out there. And I'm, you know, my friends don't come to my shows anymore. They rarely ever did. But it, ha it has to be a special show to, to get people to come out to. So uh, who are some of your, your favorite stand-up comics? I love Norm MacDonald. Um, been listening to a lot of Patrice O'Neill recently. Um I love Zach Galifianakis' stand-up. His stand-up is genius. Um, people probably don't give him enough credit because he plays a an a idiot in that those Hangover movies, but he's great. Um, I love Mitch Hedberg. I write like short jokes, mm -hmm. so I love the jokes. If you know anybody who writes jokes, um, you know Stephen Wright type stuff. I have a buddy Mitchell Crumley. Who is a comic in town who writes writes great jokes? He's won a thousand dollars doing at there's like an arcade there's an arcade downtown that's it's like a bar with arcade games. I know I know where that is. It's on uh, second, second Second Ave. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right next to the bridge. And uh, there was a, a dad joke contest, and a lot of some comics from town and some people who are not comics. You could, you could tell jokes that, street jokes is what you call them, that are jokes that you've just heard, like, you know, that are old jokes that you didn't write. You call them street jokes, like, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? You yeah. Uh, not jokes about roads or streets, but... <laughs> uh, but, like, just an old, you know, an old joke that you could tell, like, your dad would tell you, what is it, what do you call a deer with no eyes? No idea, and stuff like that. So people could tell that, and Mitch Crumley writes great one-liners, and they're very silly, and he won it against people who were, you know, who are telling, like, legit, legitimately great jokes that they didn't write, you know, but that you could get on the internet. And... Uh, and no one knew that they probably didn't write him. Maybe they did, but he won a thousand bucks. That's a lot of money. For, was was it great. one one joke? No, it was probably like a four minute set or some five oh, minute set. Oh, okay. It was, yeah, 
great, man. So it was just one after another. Oh, you won a thousand dollars. Yeah, a thousand bucks. That's impressive. Good for him. Yeah, I wish I had known about the show. Like you would have been there. I would have been. Like, you would have swiped that a thousand dollars away from. I him. knew about it, but I just didn't know how to get signed up for it. And I like I texted a couple people who who are the ones that posted about the show on the internet. I was like, how do I get signed up for this? Like, I don't know, it's on the website. He's like, will you sign me up? Because I can't figure it out. And I'm not saying, I don't think I, you know, Mitch has got great jokes, but it would have been nice to put my my, my name in that hat, maybe uh, steal it from him. So it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities around town to kind of do stand up, maybe, maybe even more so than there is music in some ways. Mm-hmm. Well... Uh, I don't know about that. The 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 venues all want to book music, so. Yeah, but I don't know of any any uh any jams around town that are giving away thousand dollars for. Uh, I've never heard of anything like that before either. That's, yeah, that's a once in a lifetime deal. There's that's not a common occurrence. That, but that was neat. But and he deserves it. He's funny, funny mofo. Well, shout out to Mitch. Congratulations on winning the $1,000. Mitchell Crumley. So if you see him, if you know Mitchell, and he, you see him at a bar and he doesn't buy you a beer, you know, he, he he's being a jerk because he's got 1000 bucks now. <laughs> he ought to buy you a beer. Have you ever uh, done stand-up outside of Nashville? Have you gone and opened for anyone or been a feature act for anyone? Um, I have done some showcases in Atlanta and Chattanooga and Huntsville. Um, I got to be, I got to do a guest spot for Ben Kronberg in Huntsville, which I just like asked the booker if I could get free tickets to the show because she's the booker at Zany's also mm -hmm. in Nashville. And she said that I could just go and do five minutes on the show. So I wasn't, it wasn't like I got, booked on there other than the fact that I'm you know decent at stand up and that she was just being nice but uh that was neat and there's a guy Dave Stone who's a, a really funny stand up who travels around the country and headlines you know clubs like like Zany's and he is at Third Coast Comedy Club on December 14th I think and I'm opening for him um, the feature is Josh Wagner, who is a, he is a very funny boy in Nashville. Um, but I'm, that's, that's the, that's the biggest, yeah, December 14th at Third Coast Comedy Club, which Third Coast Comedy Club is an awesome comedy club. They do a lot of improv, but they also do stand-up as well. Where is it? What part of town is that in? It's at Marathon Village. Marathon oh, Village. okay, right by Marathon Music Works. Yeah, right, right across the parking lot from them. Is it a uh, big room? How many seats is it? It's a pretty small room. It's it's a it's a good room. It's probably 50, 70 seats maybe. Um, they could probably pack it out, um, but it's it's a great little room. And the if it's a huge room with high ceilings, the laughter will die out, and the laughter will get lost up in the rafters. And you want low ceilings and a small room because there's a domino effect when it comes to laughter. If the person next to you is laughing, it makes you want to laugh. And if the, if the laughs are trapped in, 
this this is all like the psychology of stand up. Psychology of stand up, but that's what you want is a small room with low ceilings, and that's a great great room. We did the world record uh, broken record comedy show in the spring. I remember you posting about this on Facebook. Yeah, we're going to do it again in the spring. It was ten days long, twenty four hours a day. From I think it started on Easter maybe or ended on Easter. It was that time of year, and uh, we did it for ten days. I probably did four hours total that week, but the year before that, I did more than that. Maybe uh, I don't know six hours of total stand up. I was doing longer sets and doing sets at two in the morning and sets at six in the morning and noon. And so you do lots of long sets and you get more comfortable doing long sets. It's really good. It's like boot camp. But you have yeah. To have 10 people in Getting the those reps in. Yeah. You have to always have 10 people in the audience. A lot of times if it was five in the morning, it's almost all stand up comics, but there'd be a few people just hanging out there. If like bartenders would get off at three o'clock, there would be always an influx of people coming in around three thirty and four you know, the, the white, the service industry people. Um, it was, it was neat and it is like boot camp. It's good, good learning when you're not like the showcases around town. I do eight minutes, 10 minutes, you know, occasionally I've done a 25 minute, you know, 15 minute set, but it's normally short sets and the open mics are four minutes long. So to get, to have the opportunity to do a 30 minute set, you can get, get your legs under you doing longer stuff and for me I just do short jokes so for me to do uh, 25 minutes it's uh, like 75 jokes holy shit and do you have all of these written out in advance and memorized I have uh, kind of a shtick where I use I write all my jokes on note cards and I get the note cards in order and I know the jokes and I don't have to read them off the note cards but sometimes I pretend to be reading them off the note cards it just uh, doesn't, probably doesn't make sense saying it without seeing me do it but that's how I that's because I can't remember 75 jokes I, I can remember I can't remember what order to put them in that's something that probably I don't know if I want to stick with doing the note card. It seems to work pretty well, and it's easy, you know? You don't have to remember. There's nothing... My theory is there's nothing funny about memorization, you know? But I think there is something to the fact that, like, Rodney Dangerfield could do two hours of joke, short jokey jokes like the ones that I write without looking at anything. Just do it for two hours sweat covered with sweat I don't know if there's something funny about that but it psych, the psychology of stand up is you don't want to see somebody looking at notes for some reason I don't know why hmm that's pretty it's, interesting it's weird yeah well on a uh, on a closing note I have I have a quote for you to read and I actually I picked I picked one out that was kind of like a uh, I thought it was kind of a uh, Mitch Mitch Hedberg style. Nice. So uh, here it is. Tom Waits. Ah, oh, this is great. 
A gentleman is someone who can play the accordion, but doesn't. Perfect. Patrick, thank you for coming on. Where can people find you? Where can people find you doing stand-up? Where can they find your Facebook, Instagram? What can, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, you? Come out to Bourbon Street Blues and Boogie Bar on Monday nights. There's a great blues jam there, and I'm always there. And uh, the Corey Mack Band is the, the house band, and they're great. And I usually go on. I try to sign up first so I can go on right after them. Um, I got a Facebook page. I don't know. Just keep go to NashvilleStandup.com. NashvilleStandup.com has a list of all the shows in town and all the open mics. And, you know, that's just go see Nashville Comedy and maybe you'll see me. And maybe I'll get a website going one of these days. One of these days. Yeah. Cool, man. That's well, it. thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. <laughs>